as you drive across the bridge on your way to Mill Valley to see the show. Just gotta leave all those emails behind. We took a walk through the Redwoods today. That was what we did. Give it up for Redwoods. It's a top five tree for me. I don't know about you guys. The original Sweetwater opened its doors in 1972, and 50 years later, Neil Francis played two memorable sellout shows, adding a new chapter to Sweetwater's rich legacy of R&B, blues, and funk. The once-in-a-lifetime show has been a commonplace occurrence at Sweetwater, where a lucky few have been in the room to see world-renowned artists share the stage. Like when Jerry Garcia jammed with Elvis Costello and Sammy Hagar, or the night Bonnie Raitt and Santana joined John Lee Hooker, or more recently when Jim James or Billy Strings played with Bobby Weir. Welcome to Heart of Town, 50 Years of Sweetwater. In this episode, we'll be profiling Neil Francis, an emerging artist whose recent two-night run continues that legacy. But first, here's Steve Parrish and Village Music's John Goddard to share a few of their memories. I remember Bonnie Raitt uh, blowing my mind there uh, when I first saw her and realizing her power of the blues. Bonnie Raitt hung out there a lot. Uh, Bob Weir hung out there a lot. Went to lunch at Sweetwater one afternoon with Jeannie and Dr. John, which was very bizarre. <laughs> We had parties two or three times a year for many years. We threw a birthday party for John Lee Hooker that was a lot of fun with guests, Albert Collins and Robert Cray and Ry Cooter. And we had a birthday party for Johnny Johnson, Chuck Berry's piano player. I would call Jeannie and say, so-and-so's gonna be at Slim's, you should try and book them. Uh, so-and-so's gonna be at the Sacramento Blues Festival, you should try and book them. I, I, I had a real good connection with the, uh, with the Sacramento Blues Festival, which was like 10 times better festival than San Francisco. Every year, there were like two or three acts that I would tell Janie, look into these. We would go down to the New Orleans Jazz Fest every year, and she would take names of people she liked and go home and immediately try and contact their booking agencies. That's why Janie brought more Cajun music to the Bay Area than, than anybody else. She went through a Cajun phase and was booking Cajun acts that never would have made it out of the South if it hadn't been for her. And did it with, with other acts too. And that tradition has continued with New Orleans legends George Porter, Leo Nocentelli, and Stanton Moore playing regular shows at Sweetwater Music Hall. While one of the aims of this series is to share stories of the knights and people that have played key roles in Sweetwater's first 50 years, we'd like to turn our attention to an artist who embodies and carries forward the Sweetwater tradition. Chicago-based keyboardist, songwriter, and all-around entertainer, Neil Francis, who came through Sweetwater with his band for two nights this past April. 
Born into a music-loving family and raised in Oak Park, Illinois, Neil started playing piano at age four and began taking blues lessons shortly thereafter. By the age of 12, his dad took him to the iconic Chicago blues bar, Rose's Lounge, where he'd go on to play regular shows throughout his teens and 20s. Yeah, it was every Tuesday. I was just playing keyboards with, um, first, uh, Pete Galanis is the guitar player. I, he, like, brought me under his wing uh, when I was in my 20s, and uh, he was playing with Omar Coleman. He's a harmonica player, just outstanding singer, harmonica player. And it was, like, real just, like, dirty, funky R&B blues, like, such a great education on just groove and taste and knowing your place within the musical scope of what the band's trying to do. It's like, it was really cool. After cutting his teeth in the Chicago blues and funk scenes, Neil decided to go solo in 2017, developing his own sound while taking bits and pieces from his influences, ranging from Alan Toussaint, The Meters and Sly Stone, to David Bowie and Pink Floyd. Neil's 2019 debut album, Changes, made best-of-the-year lists across the U.S. He recorded his next album, 2021's In Plain Sight, in the parsonage of St. Peter's Church in Chicago, where he lived during the COVID pandemic. And his latest EP, Sentimental Garbage, dropped in November 2022. It's been a busy last 18 months for Neil and his band. They've played nearly 200 shows and festivals across the U.S. and Europe, opening for Marcus King and Shaky Graves, while also headlining their own tours. Their 2023 highlights include a two-night stand at Talia Hall in Chicago with an 11-piece band, which will be released as a concert film and live album, Francis Comes Alive. They also sold out three late-night shows at Jazz Fest and sat in with everybody's new favorite jam band, Goose, at Days Between. Neil took some time to sit down and talk with us between his two shows at Sweetwater in April. It's a situation where you're on the road, you know, 160, 200 days a year. And you're bouncing from playing festivals to headlining shows mm-hmm. at venues like this to uh, supporting larger acts at larger venues as well. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that affect your mindset or like your approach to each show? Well, it was a lot of learning quickly what you're talking about with having an opening set that might be 40 minutes long. You have 40 minutes with which to present your music to people who have never heard it before. So. Uh, our drummer Colin who crafts the set lists we came up with the idea to do basically a medley and play you know eight or nine songs in 40 minutes or maybe more than that we tend to stretch things out when we have a club show like this yeah I mean you were taking things out for a walk last night which I really enjoyed both on the front end and the back end of your songs too like extending out the intros or the like the Prometheus jam at the end of the show yeah that was a fun one yeah
like doing that when we can, but we would have like a A and a B set on the Marcus tour. And we would usually just switch off. It's like A or B or A or B tonight. And yeah. it's just, and just roll with that. And and like when when we're doing a headlining tour, we've done it both ways where we're playing a different set every night. We've played it where we have a very consistent set. You had the eleven piece band for this mm-hmm. uh Francis comes alive shows. Is that something you're looking to potentially do more of? Uh, I'd love to do it again. I think it's going to be a special occasion yeah. thing for now. There's a certain level at, one, at which that sort of arrangement becomes viable. There might be just a leap of faith involved, where just basically what I did when I started this project. It's like I had nothing going, but just fully directed all my attention and resources into making the first few tracks of my record. But um, to tell you the truth that like I, I, I see it happening uh, again this year. So where are you in the creative process for your writing, mm-hmm. doing some recording? It's been very diffuse. Like I spent a long time setting up a place to record. It's just felt like I'm squeezing in time to write. Now that the Talia Hall project is, you know, more or less in the can and now it's on the other, the finishing side of that project, there's not as much stress about like actually executing the performance. And so I have an abundance of ideas, but just the the album will only coalesce when I like just sit down and take inventory. Yeah, I was actually looking at your calendar. I was like, oh, it's got a couple weeks. I wonder if he's actually going to do something or maybe just sleep yeah. for a week straight. I would so. like to sleep a week straight, but <laughs> I also, I don't think I could sleep if I knew that this was still to be done. Because that, that, that's like the other thing. It's just, I really want, I, I want this stuff to exist. You know, I want, yeah. I, I enjoy the process It's like a love-hate relationship. It's like kind of like a masochistic thing. It's kind of like it's the best thing ever, and it's also sometimes the most torturous thing ever. The writing and recording yeah. side. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. recording the music is really fun, usually, yeah. because it's already been written. But the process of like writing it can sometimes just be excruciating. And then when you get something that you think is like worth a shit, then you're like, well, that's the best thing ever. So it's sort of like you're like punishing yourself to get to that like little sliver of like time. And then of course you have that. And then I'm the type of person who I just can't give myself a pat on the back. And I was like, oh, okay, well you that was yesterday. This is today. Yeah. yeah. I worked like a phone sales thing for a while, and I was like don't be coming in here talking about what you did yesterday. <laughs> right? Like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That is like the worst job I ever had. <laughs> fucked me for life. <laughs> you put out In Plain Sight, and then when you put out Sentimental Garbage uh, in November of this last year, and it was tracks <clears throat> that you recorded at that time, mm-hmm. and listening to not only the flow, but the songs on that, on that EP, mm-hmm. It's like fucking dense with great music. Very fine 
could be one of the best opening tracks that I've heard in a long time. Thanks right? very much. Yeah. Thank you. Like I wanted to go put on I'm gonna get you sucka right afterwards. Oh yeah. good. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. That's so badass. Yeah, I was I was trying to like go for that Curtis Isaac Hayes sort of vibe for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, uh, that was uh, that was actually uh we had recorded a version of Very Fine for In Plain Sight that was more sonically in line with the other tracks that are on that record. Um, but that particular one, I was like, no, we got to go back uh, and take another bite at this because I was really hearing a very more, like, much more wor- warmer, like, Curtum, Curtis, Curtis Mayfield type vibe with it. So I was grateful we got to try that again. That was like premeditated. You know, like, I'm just going to record much more than I can put on this record so I have something in the can. Because yeah. I never like to, like, have nothing. I, I, I need to have something in there to start with, you know. Yeah, I guess, too, like, we're going to record this and we're going to go on the road for two straight years. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'd be nice to have something that we could release later, too. I'm, I was so glad because we were initially just listening back to that material and we were going to release a single uh two of those tracks a and a b side and then my manager and and i were talking and it became more of it was like oh well we have seven tracks yeah. like why don't we just try and release it as an ep and then ato got an interest in it
Life moves fast, and Starbucks Ready to Drink Coffee delivers an uplifting boost that helps you tune into the moments that matter, wherever you are. It's Starbucks Coffee, conveniently packaged for life on the go. As a dad of two young girls and somebody who sees a lot of shows, I'm usually all over the place trying to catch up on sleep and work. And there's not much time during the day to head out to grab a coffee or a meal. That's why I love that I can grab a bottled Frappuccino chilled coffee drink and have my favorite Starbucks coffee ready when I am. Starbucks coffee, ready for right now. Shop the full lineup online or in store, wherever you buy groceries. Talking a bit about what Sweetwater stands for and what it has represented for the Bay Area music scene. Are there places that you've been to or experiences that you've had in venues that are kind of smaller, a little bit off the beaten path, but that have kind of left their mark on you as a performer or like the feeling that you've had with the crowd? The first thing that popped in my mind was the Fillmore, but that's a little bigger than this place. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, like there's some spots like Stevens Talk House in uh, Long Island. Yeah, it's like a very small club in a small town on Long Island, but the programming there is insane. Like everybody's played there. You know, you you, see, you take a look at the pictures on the wall. It's like, oh, David Crosby and Paul McCartney and like whoever else, like, uh, you know, legends of rock and roll. I mean, thinking about San Francisco back in the late 60s, early 70s, it just blows my mind. Very special time and place in history, like a very singular moment that'll never exist again. Like the, the shockwaves from that scene are still so influential even now. Certainly the rock business, I mean, we wouldn't have festivals or even rock clubs in, at all. It was like pioneered by Bill Graham and, you know, the system of ballrooms across the country where it was like, let's just find places for the dead to play. Bill Graham was the greatest promoter in concert history. And now our presenting sponsor, Marine Layer, has exclusive access to his legendary archive. He saved everything, from ticket stubs to backstage passes and all kinds of never-before-seen artwork from his shows. And Marine Layer's new Bill Graham collection includes band tees that feel like the ones that would have been on the merch table 50 years ago. I've been a fan of their tees since the early days in San Francisco because they make the softest t-shirt of all time. Like imagine the softest thing ever times 100. It feels like my old shirt that I've washed a million times, but also looks put together somehow. And they've even got sizes like Marge, which is in between medium and large, so everyone can have their perfect fit. I think we can all admit that the perfect tee can be hard to find, but look no further than Marie Lair. As we wrap their conversation, we asked Neil to share his thoughts on the Sweetwater Music Hall Arts Fund and how exposure to music shaped his life from a young age. I was really lucky growing up. Um, my parents had the resources to put me in lessons. Also, I was in a house that was really stable. Music was playing all the time. Music was important. Uh, my school had a band even when I was in like third grade through church and school and the music was always part of my life. And I realized that, that that's a privilege that's unique to my upbringing. Uh, not everybody has access to that. And I just think it's such a joy uh, whether you're listening to music or playing it, you know, I would hope that everybody can have access to that in some way. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to be part of it in some small way. 
We'd like to say a very special thanks to Neil Francis for joining us. We'd also like to thank his band, Kellen Borsma, Mike Starr, and Colin O'Brien, and their management team. This episode was produced by Natively and Sweetwater Music Hall. Written by Jared Katzman and Travis Retke. Edited and mixed by Ryan O'Leary. Sound by Dan Friedman, Louis Block, and Michael Wilson. Graphics and art by Juliana Barcia. 
Footage courtesy of Sweetwater Musical. Special thanks to Maria Hoppy, Aaron Saul, Michael Wilson, Sweetwater Musical and its staff. And thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Marine Lair. <laughs>